the most deep considerations, in fact, will be a part of our discussion, it would seem to me, this evening. All of us rest very strongly on the sovereignty of God. We know how strong He is. We know, in fact, the capacity and capability that He has. But His choices to act in various ways at any given moment and in any given set of circumstances can sometimes be very difficult to utterly and partially and finally discern. Well, tonight, as we give thought of that, partly it was prompted by a song that Gary uh, suggested uh, some number of weeks ago. I'd like to read some of the lyrics of that song and then perhaps let's give some thought in the remainder of the lesson to it. Jimmy Fortune, as I understand it, uh, sang it. I don't know that he authored it, but perhaps he did. It goes, If I was God, I'd never let my best friend leave for work that night. And he'd never get gotten T-boned at that four-way traffic light by some drunk. If I was God, I'd never let that cancer take away my dad. And I'd at least add 40 years to the 60 he already had. And he could know my kids. But who am I to question what is best when I can't make a heart beat in a chest? And I could never let my son die upon a cross. The whole world would be lost if I was God. If I was God, yeah, I'd show up in all my glory every now and then, and no one would have a choice to question if I am, as if I cared. If I was God, I'd make sure that the devil got his share of the blame. And in fact, when it came to time to pay, everyone who took my name in vain, wouldn't that be fair? But who am I to question what is best when I can't make a heart beat in a chest? and I could never let my son die upon a cross, the whole world would be lost if I was God. Now, there are many things about that song and many aspects of its lyrics that certainly are worthy of some reflection, but, it, but if I was God, or if you were God, or if God chose to behave in a way that would be more like what you or I would, well, isn't it true there'd be a lot of things different? Things wouldn't be nearly as perfect, and things, in fact, in many ways, would be utterly tragic for everybody else. God's control of events. As I develop this lesson, this next slide will move us to, first of all, cement in our thinking some very basic truths. Now, the song made the statement that if I were God, I'd never let my friend leave the night he did when he did, and he ended up tragically killed in an, in an automobile accident. Why doesn't God overrule in an event like that? Why doesn't He cause things to be different so that that tragedy didn't happen? Or with regard to, to the one, His own father He made mention of, who was lost to cancer. Well, all of that leads us to be reminded of what's on this slide. May we never question or have any doubt about the omnipotence of God. No, the, whenever debates seemingly happened between those who believe strongly in God and those who do not, one of the issues that is almost powerfully mentioned by those who do not is, look, why does God allow all of the evil to happen? Why does He allow all of the sickness and sorrow? Why does He allow all of this if He can stop it, but He cannot, but He chooses not to do so? Then doesn't that mean He's not loving? Doesn't it mean that He doesn't care? And quite often, those lines of argumentation are used rather notably. 
first of all, a demonstration in Hebrews 11, verse 3, with respect to even the matters of creation. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are made were not made of things which do appear. You and I are told rather immediately that, with regard to the creation, it wasn't out of things which already existed. He brought into existence those things that in fact are now here, and He ordered them according to His will. What a great statement of His majesty, His capacity, His capability, and His power. We also read in Psalm 33, verse 6, "...by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and by all the host of them by the word of His mouth." Three verses later, in verse 9 of that same chapter, we're reminded of how all you and I ought to stand with regard to Him. Surely all of that gets us started with this thought. His omnipotence, His sheer greatness. To that, may I add the text in Job 42 too. Job, as that book nears its conclusion, made this statement, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought could be withholden from thee. Now, there was a gentleman who had just passed through a great deal of difficulty and suffering and challenge, and yet he was led to appreciate, I know, God, that you can do anything, everything that's consistent with your will. Perhaps one final thought would be Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen where there the prophet pointed out in these statements, God speaking through him to Israel, he said, By your great power and your stretched out arm, there is nothing too hard for you. Now that kind of reminder, that kind of statement is indeed very direct, isn't it? That there's nothing too hard for him. Didn't Jesus echo a sentiment like that in Matthew 19, 26? With God, all things are possible. Now today... And there are times when certainly you and I appreciate that there are many who laugh at these thoughts and somewhat look upon them with a degree of blasphemy. But you and I know the Scriptures teach absolutely the absolute character of God's sovereignty. No wonder in light of that, look at some of the actions that the Word of God clearly testifies to us. In Daniel 4.25, one of three times in that same chapter, we're reminded that God does rule in the kingdoms of men, and He gives it to whoever He wants to. Now, you and I need to be reminded of that, that this world, when we sojourn here and we live here for a while, we understand that one besides us is in control of it. He gives it to whoever He chooses. That text in Daniel 4 maybe is even magnified in Jeremiah 27. There God says, I made the earth... I made all of the humans that live on it. I made all the beasts that live on it, and I'll give it to whoever I choose to. Now, that's about as straightforward any passage as you and I would have on that subject. I will give it to whomsoever I choose. And so it is, isn't it, that His sovereignty, His absolute majesty is not to be questioned. Amazing, though, that as general as that sentiment is... What about the direct application to nations, for example? I mentioned but one, and that's Israel. The entirety of Psalm 124 is a reminder of what God says, I have done for you, I am doing for you, and I will do for you. Now that was ancient Israel. Clearly God acted on their behalf. He acted in light of what was beneficial for them and what could be a benefit and blessing to others through them. 
but why don't we go one step beyond that? What about individuals? A person, Psalm 116, at least three verses in that psalm remind us, there's verse 2, verse 6, and verse 8, point out that here the psalmist could immediately say, God, you have heard my prayer, and not only that, you have moved my steps in such a way I have not fallen, and my tears have dried up. And the verse in between, verse 6, points out rather beautifully and oh so sweetly, how that the psalmist could easily say, you have delivered me. Now, he was speaking particularly about trials and difficulties and challenges, be they related to enemies or otherwise, I have known your deliverance. May I suggest that today we still are in a position to often think about that kind of application. Challenges and difficulties through which we have been delivered to make mention of verses like the ones we've mentioned so far points out the fact God can, in any given situation, choose to act in His greatness and omnipotence in ways that are immediately with regard to deliverance or immediately with regard to that which would be a removal from that catastrophe. But let's face it, He doesn't always choose to act in those ways, though He can. For that reason, the next part of the lesson will be this one. There are times that we directly find scriptural evidence that God chose not to do certain things, meaning that circumstances developed and situations arose and God chose not to act in the way that no doubt men often would. As you can see on that slide, we will perhaps make this obvious observation, we still live in a world where there are accidents, there are circumstances, there are events. There are often those things that bring about harm and they bring about injury. Sometimes they even bring about death. Those are just facts of our existence. We know them well. You'll notice so at the top of that slide that sometimes making that observation brings us to this point, we ought not at least forget this. We have all been blessed to live in a world orchestrated by God's wisdom. And that wisdom is such that it does allow pleasantness on so many levels. It allows fairness and equity. It allows an enjoyability so often very, very sweet. But yet, that same set of laws that make pleasantness and that make enjoyability will also make it possible for other things to exist. The same laws of oceanography, meteorology, chemistry and physics that make pleasant sunny days like we enjoyed yesterday, those same laws will make possible a hurricane and a tornado come March and April. Those same laws that you see that reign supreme and lead to so much enjoyableness and beauty also make it possible for those other acts of nature to take place. It would seem that the way God orchestrated it, we appreciate thus the beauty that comes with part of it, but may we also appreciate that those other things are also an ingredient too. For that reason, on that slide, I've invited you to notice Another fact that comes along in this observation is this. Sometimes when those accidents happen, sometimes it's my fault. 
Now, that isn't always true, but sometimes it is. Something that I may choose to do or behave in such a way that, in fact, I bring on myself some of those challenges, and I bring on myself some of those difficulties and heartaches. I have known those things in my life, and I'm sure you have as well. God doesn't go about correcting our individual mistakes. That's not what His job is. He has put in place a set of laws and considerations, and as we learn and mature and grow, we hopefully in the finer moments will appreciate to not do those things or make those kind of mistakes. But having said that, it is useful to note this. It's at the bottom of that slide. I mentioned a moment ago that there are some events mentioned in the Bible that led to challenges and injuries and sometimes even death. And God didn't stop them. Let's look at Luke 13, verse 4. In Luke's gospel account, we have, in fact, the very words of Jesus to a point like this. You may recall that there was a group of people that had come to the Master and an observation was made. An observation touching the nature of, of what was going on and what was happening at that time. But Jesus made this observation. He referenced the Tower of Siloam. Now, that was apparently a well-known tower in that part of the world back at that time. And the Lord said it fell and it killed 18 people. God didn't intervene then. 18 people lost their lives because a tower fell. Why didn't God intervene then and stop it? Why didn't He have all of them move out of the way? Why didn't He support the tower long enough for them to move away from it? He didn't. We don't know a lot about the details of that event. We do know it happened. The Lord said it did. And we do know that this accident, if I may call it that, was something that indeed Jesus said, were those people at fault? Had they done something that brought about the wrath of God that led to their death? Jesus said, absolutely not. It was in essence this accident that took place. It just so happened to take their lives. But it doesn't mean that they were more evil than anybody else. And today, when difficulties come upon us or someone else, it doesn't mean that person is being judged for something. It doesn't mean that that person is standing in a position of receiving in this life the absolute nature of God's wrath or disagreeableness with them. Rather, in fact, there was an occasion when someone literally asked Jesus this question. Do you recall in John chapter 9... There was a man that had been born blind. And they asked Jesus, Who sinned, him or his parents? Now that seems like a direct question. Did this man sin in some way leading to this lifetime blindness? Or was it his parents that sinned? Are they the ones for the reason this was brought upon him? Jesus said, Neither one, neither one. It wasn't either of their sins that led to this. It was something that happened. Who knows exactly the biological cause of it? Who knows exactly the degree and the character of it? But Jesus said it wasn't due to their sin. Today, when you and I then appreciate sometimes things can happen, events transpire, matters take place, it's not a judgment from God. It's not something that is a reminder that we've done something that was an affront to the character of God Himself. This tower mentioned in Luke 13 may be another example. Amos chapter 1. 
in the Old Testament, reference is made to an earthquake. Now, you and I know how damaging earthquakes can be. It can damage a lot of property. It can take a lot of lives. Apparently, there was an earthquake, and it was of sufficient magnitude. It was of sufficient enormity that it was used as a chronological signal. The dating of part of the book of Amos was with respect to the earthquake. Now, the book doesn't say any more about the earthquake. It was apparently significant enough that it may well have caused a lot of damage. How many lives were lost, we do not know. Could there have been a lot? In history, there have been earthquakes that have literally taken hundreds of thousands of lives. Could this have been one of them? Perhaps. At the very least, we could say God didn't stop it. He didn't intervene and cause the surface plates of earth not to move and thus prevent the earthquake. But as we noted earlier, that same set of laws that lead to the beauty and the majesty and the characteristic of the oceans, it also makes possible things like earthquakes. Not only that, in Acts 27, what about this one? We are all well aware that Paul found himself in a shipwreck at one point. God did not intervene to stop the terrible storm that would lead to the shipwreck. He didn't. Here was a great servant of God who washed up basically on shore on an island in the Mediterranean Sea. Now, Paul's life was spared, but the entire ship was lost. And not only that, of course, the cargo it was carrying was lost. Why didn't God stop that? Why, why did He allow the proceedings to lead to that event? May I also suggest as Acts 27 will detail it, that surely was a remarkable storm. It lasted 14 days at least. Can you imagine being on a ship 14 continuous days? A storm so severe you didn't see the sun or the stars for 14 days. They didn't know where they were. That's the only way they had for navigation. No wonder the mariners were frightened. No wonder they were beside themselves in panic. They had no way of navigation. For 14 days that lingered. I would imagine the degree of panic by the time you got near the end of that 14th day must have been extreme. God permitted it to take place. Those storms that were well known on the Mediterranean Sea and also on the Sea of Galilee. All of that perhaps reminds us, as we close that slide, that all of these things the Bible testifies. But isn't it interesting to ponder the following? There are times you and I know upon this earth, tragic accidents take place. We understand this. In fact, as you drive to or from Nashville, you'll notice the large overhead marquees that typically keep a running tally of the number of fatalities on Tennessee roadways throughout the year. To date, over a thousand lives have been lost on Tennessee roadways in the year 2020. A thousand people at least have died. God didn't intervene in those cases. He didn't stop the particulars of that accident. Just like we noted in the Tower of Siloam a moment ago, and just like we noted maybe in these other references like the earthquake. But isn't it interesting that it's also possible to say this? He didn't intervene when His Son died on a cross either. He allowed His Son to trudge slowly along that hill and arrive at Golgotha. 
He could have intervened. Jesus said that He could. Don't you know, Matthew 26, 53, I could call 12 legions of angels and stop this now. But He didn't. Now, the words of the song reminded us, in essence, of that. If I'd have been God, would you have allowed your son or your daughter to go through something like that? Probably not. I doubt any of us would. For a human family to be filled with such evil and such hatred and such poor choice, I sent my son that they might be saved and they do this to him. I send him to preach the only perfect message man has ever known and they turn a deaf ear to it. I send the only avenue of eternity in heaven and they have no interest in it. In fact, not only do they not have interest, they kill him. Knowing that that was going to happen, would you and I have sent our son or daughter? I suspect not. If I were God, the whole world likely would be lost because I wouldn't have allowed my son to endure that. I wouldn't allowed him to do that to. I wouldn't have allowed them to do that to him. But God did. And in spite of these other events that take place, it is no affront. It is no reason to doubt His love. The cross is a timeless reminder of the extent of that love, the magnitude of it, and the far-reaching character of it. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide, I ask you to consider that indeed one has to only think, if I were God, how much different things would be and what a mess things, in fact, would be too. Because why don't we journey forward to this part of the lesson? We've now looked at some things God did not do and things He does not do. But now what about things He did do? That is to say, other words of the Word of God and other passages that do testify toward things that we're now about to study. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, In the fullness of time God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now that verse does tell us that in a, at a specific time, at a specific set of chronological events, Jesus came into this world. And things had been prepared for His coming. That suggests that through the character of Old Testament time, God had orchestrated events. He had brought things about in such a way that the circumstances were right, the timing was ideal, and everything was ready for the coming of Jesus. Not only that, in 1 Timothy 2, 4, the God of heaven has a desire. It is His desire that all men everywhere be saved. Now, if that's His desire, surely one would anticipate that there are inroads and particulars that would lead to the possibility of that occurrence. The global preservation and the sending forth of the gospel the circumstances that allow, both technologically and otherwise, the free sharing of the Word of God. Surely you and I appreciate that God's bound to have a hand, bound to have activities related to the accomplishment of that. Interestingly enough, we notice some places in the New Testament where statements along that line seemingly were made individually. Could I draw your attention to Philemon verse 15? That little one-chapter book. Now you and I remember that Onesimus was Philemon's slave and he'd run away from Philemon. He ultimately came to Rome. 
Now, Paul happened to be there, and Philemon came to meet with Paul. And in fact, they not only met, they shared quite a bit of time together. Paul taught him the gospel, and he obeyed it. And then Paul had this interesting statement to Philemon to make. Perhaps he left you for a reason. Maybe he left you for a season. Maybe if he had stayed there, he would never have obeyed the gospel. But because he did... He came in contact with those forces, those individuals, whereby he could learn the truth and he could eventually be saved eternally. Now that's amazing. When you and I think about the particulars of a person's life, do events happen in such a way that they will lead to the eternal change or blessing that otherwise would never have taken place? It seemingly happened in Philemon's life. Could it have happened in yours or mine? Could something have transpired that was literally an eternity-changing moment? Certainly could have been. Another consideration I would suggest may have worked in the other direction. The death of Ahab. I've called to your attention 2 Chronicles 18. In the Old Testament, we read there about that wicked man named Ahab. We remember how much evil he wrought among the people of God. We remember, in fact, the influence that he had and his wife turning people away from God. And he had quite a bit of success at that, actually. But something about his death is very interesting. Now, you and I think about a person passing away, or we think about this person perhaps who passes away in an an accident. If you read that particular chapter and revisit the particulars of his death, you encounter the following. The people of God were at war, as was often the case, and he disguised himself. In fact, he did so in such a way they obviously in that day and time, you looked for the enemy's king. If you could kill the enemy's king, you had immediate victory because the rest of the troops would not go on fighting. They fought for their king. He disguised himself, and it would seem he thought that this was a wonderful plan. Nobody will know who I am because I'm not wearing my royal regalia. But interestingly enough, it seems as though the other uh, enemy, the other person who was a king in that battle, when they recognized that in fact it was not this man Ahab, they left that guy alone. And perhaps Ahab thought that he was scot-free. And the text is interesting. It says that a man drew a bow at a venture. He wasn't aiming at Ahab. He, in fact, wasn't interested in thinking that that was Ahab. After all, he was disguised. He was just practicing, or he's in some other way drawing a bow at a venture. You and I might call it happenstance. But guess where the bow, guess where the arrow landed? Killed Ahab. Now, doesn't that highlight something? It had been prophesied earlier that in fact Ahab would meet his end. And aren't we now sure that just as mightily as God had brought that reality to occur, maybe it was in a way totally unexpected. You might have thought that an enemy's arrow directed at him would have taken his life. That's not the way it happened. Some might call it an accident. You and I, I think, would call it different than that. It was the work of God bringing about that which was the end of this evil man in such a way that, again, God's people might be moved in a direction that wasn't so motivated by His evil influence. Having looked at that particular example, 
could we not at least revisit some of the ones we've noted already? In Acts 27, I mentioned earlier about the shipwreck. Here was a man of God, and he was going to this city called Rome, and what an opportunity would be there to preach the gospel. You did notice God spared his life. I said earlier that the ship was lost, the cargo was lost, but Paul and every other person on board was spared. That's interesting. Now, you might have thought in a storm that severe... And in a storm that great, surely somebody's life would have been lost, but not even one. You and I know God intervened to protect the lives, though He did allow the cargo to be lost. In addition to that, what about that example in the very next chapter? Do you recall Paul was bitten by a poisonous snake in Acts 28? Verses 4 and following detail. In fact, the natives on that island were anxiously awaiting for Paul to begin to show symptoms and signs of his impending death because he was bitten by that snake. They looked with wonderment. They looked with intent. Paul never got sick. You and I know that the God of heaven, again, overruled in that event, preserving his life and maintaining his capacity to preach and to carry on the work of the gospel. Now, you notice there, God did intervene, just like He did in the shipwreck, preserving life. We looked at other examples earlier in the lesson tonight when He didn't intervene. Maybe at the bottom of that slide, one more. I chose this one as the lesson text, in fact. Do you recall that rather amazing scene in Acts 14? On the first missionary journey, Paul together with Barnabas, was moving in that direction of Asia Minor, and they came to a particular city wherein the message was not well received. They dragged Paul out and stoned him, and they thought they killed him. They left him there thinking he was dead. And the text quickly identifies that apparently after they all left, Paul got up and went on into the city. But isn't it interesting, they thought they'd killed him, and that was their intent. But later on in 2 Timothy 3.11, this interesting statement is found. Persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Iconium, at Antioch, and at Lystra. That's the very place he was stoned. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Paul said God had a hand in me being preserved He had a hand in that event that though they thought they killed me and that was their intent, it did not happen. The Lord delivered me. I say all of that perhaps to have raised another question as much as anything else. We've noted that there are occasions when God chose not to act. That earthquake, the Tower of Siloam. And yet there are other occasions like Paul being bitten by the snake where God chose to act. You and I are not God. You and I are not able to act upon His level and think upon His level, for His thoughts are far higher than us. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 will detail that. My thoughts are higher than yours. My ways are higher than yours. And yet, the Word of God seemingly points out this truth to us. He can act in any way that's consistent with His will. He can, in fact, move things in such a way that accidents might not happen. 
Have you and I ever thought about the fact maybe we'll leave work a little bit later than usual on some morning, and in so doing, we will avoid an accident? Perhaps. That could certainly take place. Or maybe we leave a little earlier than usual, perhaps out of the ordinary, and in so doing, we avoid a particular messy situation that we otherwise would have been in the midst of. Maybe that can happen at work. Maybe it can happen in travel. I simply offer the Word of God says God can do such things. Now, whether He does in a given event, whether He does at a given moment, is beyond our capacity to exactly say. Because there are times He did choose to act, and there are times He didn't. His will, thankfully, is far better than ours and far higher. This much we know. In James 5.16, we're told, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And thus we do know that prayers can change things that, that, that do transpire. It can lead to changes that would otherwise not have happened. Otherwise, there'd be no reason to pray. And therefore, we continue to pray in conviction and in confidence. For James chapter 1 reminds us that if we ask in wavering, we ought not expect to receive anything of the Lord. As we close this lesson tonight, that song that we noted earlier, the lyrics at least thereof, at least caused us to ponder God's control of events. This conclusion slide is one that reminds us perhaps one final time of the profoundness that in many ways is connected to a subject like this one. The Word of God told us that there are times God chose not to act. There are other times He did choose to act. That which is consistent with His will. And aren't we thankful that His way is always right? Genesis 18.25 says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? His way is always right. I know we each are thankful for that. As I mentioned earlier, though, He did not stop His Son from dying on a cross. And aren't we thankful He didn't? For if He had, all of us would be lost. There would be no hope of heaven. There would be no hope because that was the only way. Because remember, Jesus said, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Matthew 26, verses 39 and 40. Had there been any other way, God would have chosen it. There was no other way. And therefore, as that death on that Calvary took place, it paved the way for you and me to be a child of God, allowing us to be a person that could wear the name Christian and be eternally saved. This evening, as you and I reflect upon our life and reflect upon our commitment and faithfulness, is everything in order? It could be that there's someone in this assembly who, though once a faithful child of God, you have lost sight of God's omnipotence. You've lost sight of what the ultimate goal is, namely heaven. Paul could write like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. May you and I not be miserable, but rely upon the fullness of God's omnipotence and understand that His way is perfect and great. Tonight, if we could be of assistance or help in any way, we'd be desirous of doing that. In fact, this song of encouragement has been selected. While this is a convenient time, we'd like to issue that invitation of the Lord and say, if we could be of some assistance or help, we'd be delighted to do that now while together we stand and while we sing.